Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge-On Simmons. Welcome into episode 163. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Um, we're back. It feels like we did this. I guess we're doing this a day later than we normally do. It's Tuesday. Um, I had Monday night football duties last night with the Bucks. Um, but it just feels weird because the last time we did this podcast, you and I were in person. We were live at Nights Out Pub, and it's just a very different setting to be back here on Zoom. I also just woke up from a nap. And oh, good. we had to like postpone starting it a little bit because I, our listeners will understand because they're human beings. Like it's one of those naps where like you didn't mean to take a nap where you were going to like get into a really deep sleep and then you do, and then you wake up and it takes you a minute to realize what dimension you're in. And it, it's just, I'm, I'm going through that currently. What did, what did you say um, to me? You said, I'm realizing what it, what it means to be awake or something like that. Yeah. I said, I said, cause yeah. you texted me and were like, I'm ready to hop on whenever. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm rediscovering what it means <laughs> to be awake right now. So I'm going to need a yeah. second, but I got some coffee. So we're, we're good. Yeah. You did a good job on your, uh, Whatever the hell it was, your Bucks thing last night. What was it? <laughs> Thanks, appreciate it. What was it called? Peter, I, I don't know what the yeah, called. Peter that. Game Day Show. Yeah, Bailey. Bailey, basically, Bailey basically called the Bucks game last night for the folks who wanted to watch it on YouTube, and I watched some of it. Not all of it because I'm not that committed to this friendship, but I, I thought that you did a really nice either. job. Yeah. I'm not that committed <laughs> to my own. I, I didn't watch myself at all, so I'm not even committed to myself. Um, but thank you to everyone for for listening to uh, the post game podcast. Anyone who was out at Nights Out Pub that uh, was listening there. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun to do that. Wish would have been a better result, but also want to thank everyone who has dropped some five star reviews, whether on uh, Apple was it Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is. We have a five star review question to get things started before we jump into things we missed from K State and then the Baylor preview. Um, but I was actually going to read the full, not the, maybe not the full question or the full thing, but it was a nice note, and I wanted to uh, shout out. So on YouTube, uh, this is Ch- Chuckles the Clown, eighteen eighty four says, hey guys, I left a five-star review on Spotify and I'm a huge fan. been watching since you guys were joking about Shreveport and since the beginning during the crazy turnover between staffs. Because yes, we started the podcast and then everything for UCF just completely imploded. Um, but maybe for the better at this point. Um, and this is also for Bailey, come on you Spurs, which I think uh, I, I really do appreciate. Um, my question is, do you guys see any scenario that UCF would make it into the Big Ten or SEC when it eventually becomes a power two? I'll let you take the bulk of this because realignment is your thing. My short answer is I can't see it, but I also think there's certainly a time where we couldn't see any of this in college football. So I don't know. Probably let me not. Ju- though. Let me just say to Chuckles the Clown that I am also a Tottenham enjoyer. So I was a little offended that I not did I did not also get a Koi's, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> I went to for those watching the video podcast. I opened my mouth to speak and then also tried to take a cup of coffee at the same take a sip of coffee at the same time. I'm sorry, I'm trying. This was such a trying to take a cup that. of coffee. <laughs> Is that what it said? I tried to sip yeah. a cup of coffee. Yeah. Oh man, I am never. I listen. Everything's messed up. We usually do it on Monday nights. It's a Tuesday. I wasn't prepared. It's it, we'll we'll get through it. Um, what was the question? Oh right, the yeah oh, SEC Lord. or the Big Ten. Oh man. Yeah. Okay, I got this. Um. So no, I don't think so. And I it's tough sure. because like never say never because you never know what happens. But like you have to look at the way that and this is why it's hard to predict is you have to look at the way that realignment has changed over the years. And and really as recently as 10 years ago, the qualifications to get into a major conference were so different what they are now. And by all accounts, UCF is in a major conference. The, the We're moving towards power four as a term. I've been reading a lot of articles by 
Famol and Dellinger, that's the term that's being used. So I'm like, sweet, we'll just stick with power four. But obviously the Big Ten and SEC are not only a level above the ACC and Big 12, but I think there's an expectation both from fans and media and everyone else involved that that gap will only grow in the coming years just because of the sheer amount of money they have coming in and the brands they're adding. But the thing about realignment is let's go back to like the magical times of like 2009 to 2012, that realignment wave was the Big Ten's big additions were Rutgers and Maryland. They had a Nebraska too, and Nebraska was a much larger brand back then, but Rutgers and Maryland were their two big ads. The SEC went and got Mizzou and Texas A&M, which Texas A&M probably still makes sense to say today. Missouri's like, you know, and it's because back then it was your market far and away determined your value. The Big Ten and the SEC both had networks, the SEC network and the Big Ten network, and the value of those networks and the money they could get from it dramatically increased by the number of cable households in their footprints so that was what drove those decisions that's why Rutgers who is terrible was technically captures the New York market so got added so if the world still worked like that I would say sure I could see a reality we're not the SEC since they already have Florida but maybe the Big Ten down the road is like we want to get the Big Ten network into Florida this past wave has been totally different and because cable's dying all that matters now is creating television matchups that people want to watch. That's why the Big Ten went and got USC and UCLA. It's why the SEC went and got Texas and Oklahoma. It's why the Big Ten then went again and got Oregon and Washington is the idea is now just you want to create as many big primetime matchups as possible. And UCF just doesn't move the needle on that. Um, the TV ratings so far into the season have more than proved that. I know Fox Sports 1 is a tough, tough, uh, tough channel to get ratings on anyway, but UCF's ratings have been pretty terrible. And... The only way they could get, I'm giving like a way longer answer to this than I was expecting, but we'll just keep going. The only way that UCF could reasonably get into one of those conferences when it blow all blows up again, which it's looking like that'll be in probably six or seven years, is if they've just become this massive must-have brand by then. And that would involve, literally would involve winning national championships, being must-see TV. And that takes decades. That does not happen in six yeah. or seven years. It took FSU 30 years. I'd give the only team that's done it in modern history is Clemson and it took two national titles and they've, and they already are not a team that the SEC or big 10 are currently interested in. So it's, it's a high, high, high ceiling. And and there's another piece of this that I want to touch on is that TV isn't doing so hot right now, money wise. And as long as conferences have been signing their own TV deals, which started in the eighties, every single time their deals have expired, the money's gone up. Um, when all these deals expire in six or seven years, for the first time ever, money might go down. Disney's currently working on offloading ABC. There's talk that they're going to spin off ESPN as well. ESPN's probably going to lose, like, just be a shell, a shell of what they are right now in six or seven years because of how much money they're losing. I think there's a good shot that when these deals come up in the early 2030s, for the first time ever, there isn't going to be more money there than there was last time. So I don't think you're going to see, you might not see the SEC or Big Ten at anyone. They might say, whoa, we definitely are not going to split this pie more, more ways. You actually might even see it go the other way where they say, do we really need Indiana and Purdue and Kentucky and South Carolina in these leagues? Or can we just split the pie fewer ways? And that's how we'll keep our, our checks rising. So like that was a really long winded way to say, no, I don't, I don't really see a path to it happening. <laughs> I guess I could have just said no, and we could have moved on. Yeah. ESPN is it could be a shell of itself now. I mean, I think it already is a shell of what it used to be, at least content-wise. But that's an game entirely different discussion. Game day is pretty not great these days, and that makes me sad because I really love game day. But. Yeah, um, I, that's the thing is I haven't seen it a ton. I think we talked about this in one of our past podcasts. Maybe I just talked about it when I saw you last, but I haven't felt like I missed. I've missed it. Like I've missed. Yeah. I really lately have just been wanting to tune in for the picks. Yeah, so I've had other stuff going on, other game, other things going on. So. I just like, oh, let me get the picks. Let me see the headgear and that's it. But I mean, I'm going through um, it because this Saturday will be the first time that I'm not this season watching any of it just because we have plans before the game. We're getting uh, 
lunch. Um, and I just don't, I've realized I just don't really care. Like I'm not, you know? Yeah. It's okay. Wait, sad. speaking of that, I'm going to air, I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to air a problem I have with you to the listeners. So Bailey and I, and our friend, Sarah and Bailey's girlfriend, we're all getting lunch on Saturday before the, before the Baylor game. I I'm going to ask the listeners what they think of this. I would like to go to Olive Garden. I think that's a reasonable request. I have we have not gone to Olive Garden as a group. Well, obviously not with your girlfriend ever because I've only known her for a few months. But like with either of you for like a very very long time now, I think that's a perfectly normal thing to say. Hey, let's go to Olive Garden. You're refusing. You're the one who's saying no. We cannot go to Olive Garden. It's not me. I think it's everyone. You're the it's only just one you. that wants to go. It's just no. You. It's not. Yes, it is. Okay, it, it might it also be. Isn't. No, it's just you. Sarah, Why not though? No, it's everyone because no one wants to go there. Why? I I definitely don't want to. That's not something I don't want to eat something super. Why are we getting into this on the podcast? I don't. I'm really eat annoyed super about it. Heavy. I, I, it's like we never go. Like, why can we never go to Olive Garden? Because I we I think I've been, we've actually been into this. We gotten into this on the podcast in the past, but I don't know why we did that either. It was because of that that uh, five star review question, which is it does not affect me well. I I have had not I don't say food poisoning. It's not Olive Garden's fault. It's my stomach's fault. But I'm not trying to set myself up for that before. You cannot UCF. tell me with a straight face that if you got unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks that your body would not be able to handle a bowl of soup and some bread. It you happened can't once. tell me that with a straight face. It happened face. once. I don't believe you. So the, the last three times I've been, it's, I don't know. Last We're not time I went with it. you, you got like chicken Alfredo. I'm just saying. I, I just, just so the listeners know, I'm being robbed of a good time. Because my friends You can friends go to Olive Garden whenever you want. <laughs> I can't because no one wants to go. I haven't been in like two What months. does that tell you? <laughs> it tells me that all my friends suck. What did I say to you right. when you said, when you said no earlier in text? I was you like, I'm something sick like of I, everyone in my life. <laughs> you, you said, I don't like anyone currently in my life or something like that. Yeah, that's so, accurate. The podcast. Um, <laughs> some things that we missed from Kansas State. And it's something we definitely talked about during the game on Saturday. And then just completely didn't reference it, I don't think, at all on the post-game show, which was really just that UCF speed very clearly it translates to this level. And I don't know if there was really, I don't know if I was questioning whether it would or not, but it was like very early in the game where I think it might've been one of Johnny's first plays. And it was like, okay, yeah, like UCF's going to have some speed advantages on, on some of these teams. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of funny because it feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm off base with this, but it feels like college football as a whole, like there aren't as many like unique styles as there used to be. Like it feels like everyone kind of does a variation of the same thing. Now there's obviously exceptions, but it's not like, I feel like when I was younger and obviously like before our time, there were very distinct styles that different college football teams would play even by conference. And that felt like a style matchup on Saturday. Like Kansas State won the game <laughs> and, you know, they they've won it fair and square and they were very physical and and that impacted UCF, but they also just, they didn't have anyone who was close to as fast as basically every single skill player that UCF put out there. I mean, and you could just see how the speed was affecting Kansas State. And if UCF was going to win the game, it was going to be on that from Johnny to RJ to the receivers. I, I, when you, I, so I rewatched the game, which was more painful than it has been the last few times doing for the podcast. The flea flicker to Kobe, how quickly he gets down the field on that play is insane. Oh, yeah. Like it's like a lightning bolt and he's just there. And that's part of the reason it works so well. And, and I just, that speed is going to catch teams off guard in the Big 12 because a lot of them are built for size, which is what UCF's trying to do. And the bright side is that so much Florida talent is fast. They're going to be able to marry those identities in these coming years. They'll be able to get bigger and maintain that speed. But that speed is going to catch teams off guard. And that was just another thing from a very frustrating loss that still was encouraging as hell for the rest of the season. Yeah, because it was one of those things where it's like it didn't it didn't get the job done on Saturday. I mean, there was we talked about it on post game that there were opportunities for UCF to maybe take a hold of that game and actually win it, which was not, not necessarily something I was expecting going in. And I wasn't, you know, calling that they were going to win, but 
it didn't get the job done in that game, but you can go into even this week and be like, yeah, I think that that, that it can this week. And it's going to help them win games in the Big 12. Just throw me the same way it does. It's that floor, like Florida speed is just different. I know some, I think these days, like a lot of teams have Florida players, but, yeah. and players from other states that are fast, but Florida is, is a little bit different. I think that's something that UCF can really lean on, especially as they're kind of getting back, like getting themselves up for the physical side of it. They can still at least rely on the fact that they have a ton of speed. Which I feel like I should point out too that like Kansas State is known for their physicality. Like that's one of the yeah. most physical teams, maybe the most physical team in the Big 12. So it's not like UCF's going to have to deal with that level of physicality every week. It's probably the most physical team they'll see this year, isn't it? I think so. No one else on their schedule really plays that way. I mean, that's Kansas yeah. State's big claim to fame is, and that's how yeah. they're so, and they're, that's, that's funny because it kind of reminds me of UCF a little bit, not style wise, but just recruiting wise is Kansas State does not recruit anywhere near the top of the Big 12, but they go get, you know, really physical players who work Gritty. for what they want to do. And they are not, not even necessarily huge players like size wise. It's not like they're just massive because massive guys usually are going to Oklahoma or wherever. It's just guys that yeah. want to play physical and are tough as hell and, and, and love that contact. And not everyone is built that way. And it's how Kansas state has gone from, you know, team that recruits nothing but three stars to literal big 12 champions. <laughs> yeah. Gritty Midwestern dudes is what it really is. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and part of that physicality and something that UCF couldn't necessarily hang with, um on saturday was at the linebacker position ucf's linebackers not the best performance i don't think anyone beyond the front four really had that great of a day um and i think a lot of that was I mean, a lot of it was just poor tackling and a lot of it was being unable to cover that big physical was it ben sanat the tight end was just looks like a fullback um and i just early on in the season i was kind of like yeah the linebackers are kind of just there now I'm full on worried about the linebackers and it's less Jason Johnson and more so I Walter Yates. Say, I, we, I avoided this on the post game pod just because we were, you weren't in a public place, which was a ton of fun, but I didn't feel like I was going to go up there in front of a bar and be like, so Walter Yates needs to go, huh? Like, but <laughs> Walter Yates, the Walter Yates needs to go, huh? Like I just, I, well, it, it's, we pegged him in the offs or right at the start of the season when the depth chart came out and he was starting. I think we even said on the podcast, we were like, that's worrying that Ryan Davis or someone else didn't set up that step up that step up there because Yates felt more like a guy who provides quality depth than someone that you want out there on a power five schedule. He, he, he's just a liability. And, and, and clearly the whole room is because if he's out there, it means there's no one behind him who can really handle that, which is disappointing. They just missed on their transfers. And, and that's yeah. where we're at. I mean, we're at the point where you were telling, we were talking about during the, when we were watching the game together and it was even more notable in the rewatch that it's like, if the D line does not stop a running back, you're done like that that was basically the whole night is it's on the d line or they're picking up that 15 yards that's the larger point to me it's like i I'm like i almost want to be like it's not his fault like it's the fault of i don't know if it's ucs fault, it's the fault of the transfer linebackers because they really didn't hit on anyone and yeah. you would think like he he can't cover i don't think he has not covered very well at all he's struggling and tackling like it's it's in a position where it's like yeah he's clearly struggling out there but they don't have anyone they can even throw out on the field just to give him a break and just say like, all right, we need, cause he was out there. I think the whole game, I don't, we saw I can't some, remember. So Cam Moore got out there a little bit. Ryan Davis got out yeah. there a little bit. Like they, they nothing. Like I just, that room just doesn't have anything. And I think why it's so maddening is it just feels like this is every single year for UCF. They have that room is they have one serviceable linebacker and that is it. And it just feels like it's that on repeat forever. And I think it's even more frustrating. And this is the downside of the portal for UCF as well as they've done with it is like, Tatum Bethune's out there being awesome for FSU. Like yeah. Jeremiah Jean Baptiste is out there for Ole Miss. Antonio Greer, who was committed to UCF when Tiwa was here, is over at Arkansas. It's like there were th there are guys who should and could have been here that I think would have really elevated what the season could have been. But it's like it took us four games to figure out what the liability is. 
that's the liability is this D-line needs to be awesome. And it's not just on the linebacker. Secondaries also have issues. So it, it's yeah. it's just the li- – I guess the liability is just the defense is, is yeah. where we're at at this point. The entire back end of the defense outside of the front four. And even the front four, we talked about it a little bit on Saturday. Like the front four has not rushed the passer very well at all. It's The front four has been good against the run. You know, I don't, I don't like know. I, I was more impressed with them on the replay than I was in the moment. I think I think that I think the D line played fine. I, I and I think it's kind of an unreasonable request to ask them to be sacking the quarterback against the Big 12 runners up runners up or not the Big 12 runners up the Big 12 champions. Excuse me. Every, every play. I just don't think that's a reasonable ask. No, it's not. But you get to him like a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like, yeah, I, I mean, a few, a few times and, would be nice. And honestly, you know, who looked awesome was John Walker. Yeah, looked freaking looked really awesome. Good. Looked a lot better than I would have expected him to look with. So that calmed me down a little bit because we still don't know what Ricky's status is. He missed the entire Villanova game and he went in for a little bit. I I, I forget exactly. I made a note now. I can't find it. Hold on. I noted me. I think he, he started out. the game, right? He did. But he then... played. I think it was either late in the first quarter or early. God, I made a note of it somewhere late in the first quarter, early in the second. He wasn't in anymore. So he went for a little bit. And so clearly whatever's up with him you know, made it so he couldn't keep playing. And, but I feel as terrifying as that is because Ricky's awesome. And that still is bad for depth wise. Cause John Walker was obviously playing anyway. Like I feel a little more, okay. I don't feel like I have to freak out about that because of how good John Walker played. I was like almost getting giddy with how well John Walker was playing. It's crazy. It was man. just like al- already he's making an impact and we're four games into his true freshman season. Um, Which yeah, can I, I mean, say that... one more John Walker thing really quickly? Yeah, I need UCF Twitter to get out of their loser mentality because it's it's wearing on me. Like I like mm-hmm. John Walker played really well, and all of Twitter was, "Damn, he's going to transfer this offseason." What the oh. hell is that? Like, what are we doing, guys? Like, and everyone's like, a... "Wow, some team's going to throw a bag at him." What the hell do you think was happening during his recruitment? He was yeah. a top one hundred player. He had offers from everybody. Ohio State went hard after him. Florida went hard after him. After him at the buzzer. This isn't some three-star no one knew about who's shining at UCF like a Matt Lee or whoever that now seems like oh we're intrigued it's like everyone yeah. knew he was good and offered him that money already and he still came to UCF I do want to say one more thing about the linebackers it and I think this is like something for the future but something that like and then not, not something that we'll even know or be able to keep an eye on now but it's like you have to really really hope that some of these young linebackers they've got in in these last couple recruiting classes are going to pan out because they if they to. don't, like, they need to, because they, there's nothing there right now. I'm not, not going to reasonably expect them to play as true freshmen and be great. But, like, next year, like ne- going into next year, I think Yates is probably gone. And then I'm pretty sure I don't Jason think he Johnson's has any other gone too, Jason Johnson definitely will be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're replacing two starters next year. and Well, now I'm scared. Who's starting at linebacker for UCF next year? I don't, I don't want to worry about it now. Is Andrew but, Harris going to go from a red-shirted true freshman to a starter at linebacker? Andrew Harris was also viewed as a project when he came in. It's not why I wanted to freak out about the idea of why, you know, why aren't we trying out young guys there, but Cam Moore? Troy Ford, maybe? Troy Ford? Yeah, I don't know. Um, transfers? I, I I think that's the, the thing. They're going to have to keep going transfers, but they haven't, they but, didn't hit on any of them this year. So well, that's what I was going to say is like, it's, it's after a couple of really strong transfer classes. It's just been wild for this one. They just didn't hit, hit on almost anybody. I mean, the O-line, yeah. I guess just because they're playing at least, but they're I mean, playing. <laughs> we've barely seen DeCorian Patterson. I thought DeCorian Patterson was going to destroy teams. Like I thought it was going <laughs> to be a lockdown corner and it's like, yeah, not even out he was there. a day one starter. He's um, tweeting stuff about like control, what you can control and all that. Like that's where we're at with DeCorian Patterson. I just, I, it's great. Never saw Fred Davis at linebackers. Obviously we're all misses. It's like, they just missed on everyone. And I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, I've read a lot about the athletic Sean in Peterson. particular. Sean Peterson. Well, we saw, we've seen a little bit of Sean Peterson, but not a little nearly, bit, but not I haven't nearly seen as him do much anything as, impactful. Yeah. Not nearly as much as I was anticipating. God, I just, yeah. A wide receivers. They brought in like six wide receivers to sit on the bench. I it's, 
And I think it's just the portal is tough. And I've read a lot about this is it's just it teams talk about that. Basically, you you see the news that player has entered portal. You need to offer them on the first day or you are not going to get them, which means that you literally have like hours to try to watch tape on this player and then decide if you can offer them or not. So it's just it, recruiting where you spend two years deciding if you want a guy at high school is already a crapshoot. So imagine when you have two yeah. hours. I mean, it's just yeah. it's tough, but it's just wild that you, you expect a mixed bag. Some work out, some don't. They just missed on everybody. They just missed on the whole transfer class. Yeah. And then sometimes you actually land a guy like Antonio Greer, who you think is going to be a, a starter for you. And then your coach leaves and he follows them and then doesn't get to play for him. So yeah, so. not getting on the field. It's just a, yeah, it's tough. Um, a couple more things from Kansas state. Um, the injuries, we talked a little about Ricky Barber, but Alec Holler didn't play. Obviously John Rice Palmer is missing. And it was something that Gus said on Monday was three of their six captains weren't playing. And they had a couple more guys get banged up during the game to Jordan mask. And I think Corey Thornton did too. Yep. Right. As we um, start to like Corey Thornton, he gets hurt. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. It's, um, it's been tough and so far. I don't know. It's just, and you never know. And Bula Schmidt's still been banged up too. Um, and that's part of what we can talk about next is the the shuffling of the offensive line. I think some of it has been made necessary by Bula's injury, whatever that is. But it's also like Gus seemed pretty frustrated with the fact that they still are just shuffling guys and don't have a set starting five. Which, because he said that in the press run Monday, he made it, he said that he's really frustrated that they've had to continue to move around to alignment and that, you know, and he's never had to do that in his career. And he hopes that They'll settle on a group soon. And part of me is like, yeah, that is frustrating. And other parts of me like, you're you're the head coach. <laughs> like you, you're you get to decide if they continue shuffling or not. And I think we talked about this at one point in the offseason that this is the scary downside of when you talk about how deep your room is and how you like 10 different guys, is that it's hard to figure out which guys you like where. And yeah, they're in a bad spot now where we're a third of the way through the season. And I get Bula was an injury, but at several other spots on the O-line, they're still tinkering and trying out different combinations of guys. And it's like an O-line needs time to gel. That's not, a, that's not a group where it's like whoever, where you just put out the five best, which is what Gus kept saying, and it works out in a game. I mean, they, they need to just pick a group and roll with it for better or worse. This is why I was worried too when they were saying, when when Herb Hand was saying that all offseason, like, oh, this is the deepest group we've ever had. Like, oh, all these guys are probably going to end up playing. Like, it doesn't work like that, the offensive line position. Like, you, you can rotate on, on the defensive line. You can rotate, you know, on the outside edge rushers, stuff like that. But like, you just can't rotate offensive linemen the way they are and expect it to be a cohesive group. I mean, some of the, some of the times it's been like some of the same guys, but at different positions. And yeah. it's just, you can't build any chemistry. You can't build any continuity that way. And I, I don't know, like now I'm wondering too, you're kind of getting to the point where it's like, all right, the offensive line that started against Kansas state, I didn't think they did particularly well, but do I want to see them start against Baylor just so that we have the same group for two straight weeks? I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I mean, honestly, it's just, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think who was it? It was Drake. And that was Drake Metcalf. Actually, it was Caden Kittler at center. Yeah. Um, who was it that came in left? It was uh, Marcellus Marshall came in at guard, I believe. Lokahi's, I think, been the only one to not yeah, he move stayed around. still. Um, and then Tyler Grable as well, I think. Yep. And then Amari Kite yeah. came in. So. I don't know. Like I like you said, I'm, I I think I literally might be in the boat of like it's not even like the O line had their best night, but it's just let the group let them stick let them stick with it and see what you have because yeah. my God, I just if we come out there and they're like we're back, that's like we want to see how Drake Metcalf does a tackle. You know, he's just really talented and we like the way that he plays. So let's put you know let's put him out there and see what happens. There's, obviously, that would never happen, but you know what I mean. It's just ridiculous yeah. stuff. I I worry that it's just gonna be a thing all season. I I, I think they're four games in, they haven't found it. I don't know how they do find it from here. Hopefully I thought Kidding Killer was okay. 
And yeah. I'm almost pro sticking with him because he's so young that I'm like, I would love if UCF could have the same center for the next like four years. Cause I just Absolutely. think that would like pay off down the road. So well, I'm willing to roll with him over Metcalf, even if Metcalf might be better, but I don't know what's going to happen. I will say that my, I think the word I even sent it to you when I was rewatching the game. I think my, the worst play of the whole game is Grable gets just destroyed on this one play. Like it literally gets knocked back into Timmy. And the wildest part is the guy who's doing it to him. He's using one arm <laughs> with yeah. one arm, just shoves him back. I mean, it was crazy. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we just have to live with, they probably don't have any kind of combination of O-line that is elite. I think that much is clear at this point, but I'll sell for consistent. Let's just work on yeah. consistent and O-line versus mixing and matching. And by game 11, you're like, well, okay, well this combo actually works. All right, we'll stick with this for the final two games of the yeah. season. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, we can we can move in now to the Baylor preview. UCF and Baylor on Saturday at the Bounce House at 3:30. Um, UCF getting the the host a Big 12 game for the first time, and I think like as big of an event or as big of a moment as it was on Saturday for them to have their first Big 12 game. This like feels like the real introduction almost for I mean because it's just just the way like it's going to be a huge celebration and it's going to be yeah. a, a crazy atmosphere. It's going to be different, like you said. I mean, obviously, that was the Kansas State game will always be historic because it was UCF's first ever Big 12 game. But this is like, this is where UCF gets to showcase it more than participating in, you know, like, I just, I can't wait to see what the crowd's going to be like. It seems like there's, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited because during the offseason, there were a couple times because I feel like we've had K-State penciled in as a loss since like the schedule came out. And there have been times where I've worried a little bit, like if UCF goes out against K-State, and doesn't win is, you know, obviously the Baylor game will be huge no matter what, but does some of that energy go down a little bit if they're not undefeated or whatever? Yeah. That hasn't happened at all. I mean, the fan base, and, and and shouldn't. It would have been ridiculous if it did, but it's still something you worry about. I mean, it's it's it still feels kind of surreal. Like, I'm just in my head. I'm like, on Saturday, I'm going to go to the bounce house where UCF is hosting Baylor, freaking Baylor, in a Big 12 conference game. I mean, the, the, the Fiesta Bowl win is 10 years ago. It's only been 10 years, and it's just the rise to this point has been exciting and it's where UCF's going to get to show off and they'll you know it's obviously on Fox Sports 1 because you know why wouldn't it freaking be and that's going to be annoying but it's still just going to be this this moment that I feel like we're all going to talk about for a very long time is oh were you at the UCF's first Big 12 game were you there for yeah. the Baylor game it's like it's the small things too like I know sometimes throughout the, the summer they were putting up like the um the digital banner of like all the Big 12 logos but it's just walking in and seeing like the scoreboard having a UCF logo and a Baylor logo. Like yeah. we're used to seeing like a Temple logo or just like we always we always trash Temple, but like I don't know, even like ECU, like we're just used to seeing like the same logos, and we're actually going in and now seeing a Big Twelve team, a team that UCF played in a New Year's Six bowl game or BCS bowl game at the time ten years ago, and they're yeah. they're I believe I haven't really promoted it a lot now, but I believe months ago. Didn't Terry say that like yes. they're inviting back the 2013 team or members of it? Yeah, um, I don't I don't know if there's an official thing happening still or not. They haven't just haven't said anything, but I think yeah. the expectation is a lot of those guys are going to be there, which is exciting because that's like the team of you know. Yeah, like, I, mean, was, they, I mean, I would imagine Bortles will be there. Like that, I that'll so. be cool. That'll if he be can cool take a break itself, from like... building his house or whatever that tweet was. He can come <laughs> yeah. check out the yeah. ECF game, but yeah. Um, no, it's going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to the atmosphere. That's the thing is it's especially with the game they played. I didn't ever really think that the the hype was going to die down if they lost to Kansas state, but especially with the game they played, like they, they proved, I think that they belong. There were some things that they have to clean up. Um, and a lot of stuff was self-inflicted. I think Gus was actually kind of alluding to that saying like some of it for the defense even was just like alignment things that they yeah. were out of position and they can fix some of those things. So but I think everybody's going to little... be going crazy. 
Yeah, it's why I've been a little, fr- not frustrated, like, because it hasn't been most fans, but some fans on social media have just been, like, I think a little ridiculous with, because I, I said on our postgame pod, and I've posted a few times, as a lot of people have, that, you know, I, my nightmare was UCF goes out and they can't compete, and we realized they had two years to build a Power 5 roster and they didn't do it. And they're not going to be able to be competitive in this conference. They're going to only win a couple games here and there. It's like UCF clearly built a Power 5 roster. They went on the road to the defending champion and, and had the lead in the third quarter. And lost the lead due to self-inflicted mistakes, due to not going for it on a fourth and two, then stopping Kansas State where you would get the ball and the lead, but committing a bad penalty to let them continue their drive, and then having your quarterback moonwalk for twelve for a negative twelve yards. So like that, that's why they lost, and it, it's not anything talent-wise. But and then I've seen some fans on social media who are like, "We're done with the moral victories." Like I don't want to hear that attitude, and it's just like that's not what this is. It's like at some point you just have to give way to reality. It's like if you're one of the fans who thought UCF was going to come in and be 11 and one. Like, I'm sorry, but you're just not very smart. Like that just wasn't, there was no evidence that that was going to be the case. And, yeah, and no, I don't man. think you really need to bring down everyone else with your lunacy. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a moral victory thing. It feels like reality. It's like, this is where UCF is. There's a, they're now have, have a gauge of where they are in, in the scope of this entire conference, I think. And I think they'll probably will have built a lot of confidence from that game. And I, I think there are, we went through the, the schedule on, on Saturday, and I picked a scary amount of what games that I thought they could win because a lot of the games that are remaining on the schedule are winnable games, either because I think UCF is talent-wise on par or better than that team, or because some of these teams are just off to awful starts, and by the time UCF plays them, they could just be yeah. completely, you know, checked out. But now um, I will say, I sort of got. I'm going to let you do the key stats because I know I'm just prolonging the hell out of the podcast at this good. point, but. I will say that it's our podcast. We can just go for like yeah, six hours. You don't apologize to uh, me. It's not my podcast. <laughs> I will say that it, uh, everything we just said, UCF really needs to be Baylor. Like oh, I yeah. think they will, but next up is at Kansas, who is a top 25 team right now. It says a lot about college football that Kansas made it in the top 25 and it wasn't even newsworthy. It was just like, yeah, they've been playing really well. Yeah. No. And then at Oklahoma <laughs> after a bye week. So if UCF, drops Baylor somehow you're suddenly very easily looking at three and four and that's when we can panic and go oh my god so you really want to win this game because if you do then worst case scenario you're going into Oklahoma with a four and two record which is totally fine um so yeah they do need to win on Saturday to be clear but I think they are more than capable of doing so it's also what we kind of talked about and I'm going to keep keep delaying the uh prolonging this and delaying the key stats but it's also what we talked about with the Boise State game and why that game was so key because it was like you get into conference play at three and oh and you just have to win three conference games if you win this game, which is a winnable game at home, you're already at four wins, four and one, and you feel really good about your chances at least to winning at least two games the rest of the season to make a bowl in your first year in the Big 12. So it's, it's funny a big, how yeah, it's a big one. It's funny how I we're never gonna get to the key stats. It's funny no. how um we should just cut one. Which one do we like the least? It's funny how like one game swings mean so much because like right now UCF is three and one, which still feels like a really solid record and on the precipice of a good season. If they lost to Boise two and two, it was just like, ah, oh, they suck this year. <laughs> like, it's just funny yeah. how like a made field goal changes so much about how you feel about a season. But yeah, they, they, they're they they're in a good spot. They just got to win this bit. Four and one. Like I said, even if they drop Kansas going into Oklahoma at four and two, four and two is a solid record, especially in the power five where there will be interest and it doesn't look like UCF is just going to get smacked down. So I'm I'm very excited pending them winning this Baylor game. And the flip side of that is if they beat Baylor and they go on the road and beat Kansas and they are five and one, they're ranked going into that Oklahoma game. College game day. They've got to be ranked. <laughs> the Dylan Gabriel be, Bowl. Oh boy. Um, yeah, let's jump into key stats before we run out of time. <laughs> uh, we don't have, you can't really run out of time. I guess it's kind of physically impossible, but we work really um, hard to keep it to an hour. This might just be one yeah. of those episodes where it doesn't happen, but we're fine. Yeah. Um, some of these won't be too long. I, I think um, number two won't be too long. We'll start number one. 
we'll start with number one of the three stats. Of course, we'll start with number one. Um, Baylor has lost seven straight games to FBS opponents. I've broken Christian. Um, I'm sorry. That was just really funny. We'll Baylor start, has we'll lost seven one. seven games in a row to FBS opponents. And I don't really know why. Like, I think Dave Aranda's a really good coach, but I'm like, he might get fired soon. So does Gus. Gus and his press there were like, yeah. what do you know about Dave Aranda? Or they they just asked, they're like, what do you know about Baylor? And he was like, I know that Dave Aranda is an excellent football coach. Like, was just really, <laughs> which, you know, they were both in the SEC at the same time. So yeah. a lot of mutual respect. But that man is so going to get fired. And that sucks because I like Dave Aranda a lot. He seems like a really yeah. insightful, interesting guy. But what's weird about Baylor is that you actually take a step back. And at this point, this is year four for him. And all but one season has been pretty terrible. They yeah. won the Big 12 in 2021. They won the conference. Then they went to and won the Sugar Bowl. And outside of that one season, they've just been bad under him. It's very weird. It is weird. because I, I do. Again, I think he's a weird, uh, I think he's a weird coach. I think he's a really <laughs> good coach. Um, it's funny. I I haven't watched his press conference this week, but I remember from the um, from Big 12 media days, he was he was every question he would say, thanks for thank you for that question. And he answered the question. Apparently, he does that even like during during the season. Like, cause uh, our Matt, our former roommate, my one of my friends, and our friend Matt texted me was like, said he watched Aranda's press conference, and he seemed like just like the nicest guy. He was like, every question, he was still saying, "Thank you for that question," and then he'd answer it. What if it's a and really mean question? Does he still say? I, it? I don't know. I I think like he probably still like, oh, I appreciate the question, but this like I don't know. It's just it's like seems... if someone was like Dave, do you feel like you're on the hot seat? Would he say thank you, thank you for bringing up my job stability? I don't know. I'd probably know. drop it at that point. Don't tell Matt Campbell he's on the hot seat. We didn't talk about that last week, but I tried to like go after a fan. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, Matt Campbell, who is Iowa State's head coach. I don't know where that was. They were leaving the Ohio game and it was like an outdoor walkway where fans could walk along the line. And and an Iowa State fan, I'm going to put in quotes, heckles him because the heckle was he walks by and he goes, you're on the hot seat, Matt. And Campbell turns around and just literally tries to go back and fight him and his players have to like hold him back. And it's like, <laughs> that's what got you like, really? Yeah. It's a, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, seven straight FBS losses for Baylor. They, and then this season, their last like, win was at Oklahoma, which I find kind of funny. Yeah. And this season has been not so good for them. They've, um, I think in their one win, they've struggled, they struggled a little bit. I mean, they ended up winning by 23, but they struggled with Long Island, yeah. Um, which is a real school. Ideal. We checked. Yeah, we did check. But they lost to Texas State to start things out. They lost uh, to Utah, which is a good team. They lost to Texas. So they've had, had a tough – well, I don't say they had a tough schedule. They've had two of their four games have been tough opponents, ranked opponents, but they haven't looked like they've put up much of a fight. So that is the uh, – that's the caveat I wanted to throw in here because I know a lot of UCF fans are just in the mode of like, yeah, Baylor sucks and we're going to win by 30 or something like that. Like, I don't think Baylor's as bad as people think they are. I think they're pretty bad and probably one of the worst teams in the Big 12. But the Texas State loss was crazy. But Texas State's 3-1 and one right now and might be one of the better group of five teams. They they almost won against Utah. That game came down to the final drive and Utah's a very good team. And Texas is also a very good team. So we actually haven't really – outside of texas state which i assume is worse than ucf i think that's pretty fair to say we haven't seen a ton of baylor against more mid-level competition mid to high level where ucf is at so i don't think that we can just pencil in blowout win i i think that baylor still has a lot of talent it's still probably gonna be competitive I and mean, we have to take the strength of the schedule into account but i also just think they're kind of in shambles right now as a program and they clearly have a lot of issues and i think there are issues that ucf could expose i also think that it's a freaking home game for UCF and it's a road game for Baylor. And I that is going to be one of the better environments the bounce house has ever had. And that's tough. So 
Yeah, and that's that's where I've kind of fell in this one. Like, I still don't think Baylor's like an all. I don't think they're awful or anything. Mm-hmm. I think we'll get to our score predictions, but I think UCF wins the game. I think a large part of that is just this is going to be an environment that's going to be very advantageous for UCF. So, yep. um, and then this is the other thing is that Saturday is key stat number two that Saturday will be Baylor's first road game of the season. Which so, that's I mean, kind of wild first, to me that they the open with road four. Imagine opening with four home games and going one and three. That's 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 a that's a tough break. Yeah, that really isn't ideal, I wouldn't say. Um, and they, I mean, they've had, we, we should mention that they've been playing with their backup quarterback as UCF has been the last couple of weeks. Um, Sawyer Robertson, who has put up one of the worst stat lines I think I've seen over the course of a few games. Like, I mean, he's completed under 50% of his passes, 49.5, has a 6.7 yard average, one touchdown, four picks, he's been sacked six times. Um, but I think there's a, a chance, at least a shot, that Blake Shapen comes back this week. They upgraded um, him to starter. they upgraded him to day to day yesterday, and there are okay. also some other guys they've had out with injuries who they think they're gonna hopefully get back or have a chance at getting Which, back. So Gus didn't seem to like really have like he, he didn't seem to carry the rest. He was like, yeah, last week they did that with the whole quarterback thing, and then he showed up and he you know he moved pretty well. And I was I'm with you, Gus. I think that was a fake injury, and I think Will Howard was fine all along. Just a little bit of gamesmanship. So I think that's Coach the most lies. Gus does it too. That's the most conspiracy thing I think I've ever dropped on this podcast is I'm just not convinced that Will Howard was injured this week. He he like limped out of the tunnel and then played exactly like maybe he's just a warrior, but like he looked fine. But I think the reason that there isn't like a ton of fear, it's like it's not like Shapin is some all star quarterback. Like he's, yeah. he's fine. So it's like even if he does come back, I don't think that means, oh, UCF's in trouble. It's just they'll have a slightly better quarterback than they do now. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at their offense, I don't like none of these guys. I'm sure someone will break out and be an absolute menace like. Boise State, really Boise State guy's name, but then um, UCF has dealt with a couple players this year that have just almost single-handedly beaten them. One of them did, um, but they're like their running backs. None of them have really done anything overly impressive. They like kind of do a kind of a committee um, receiver-wise. There's no one with like any gaudy numbers or anything. So it's like this hasn't been a great offense with or without the backup or with or without the starting quarterback. Um, and yeah, this will be the the first road environment they play in all year. So. so can I say one more thing about it being a road game for Baylor and a home game for UCF? Yes. I think that UCF fans have invented a whiteout for this game. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm very weirded out by this whole thing. Yes like, and no. No, I think they have. Like, I, because I, I've, I've been noticing this since the Kansas State game ended that there's all these posts on social media about, like, UCF's doing a whiteout game for Baylor and, like, oh my God, fans, get your white shirts. I saw someone tweeted that they bet they're going to like lay out white shirts on the seats, which I don't believe is a thing UCF's no. ever done. And just all these tweets, but it's a white out, it's a white out. I even saw a couple, literally like two different Penn State fans complaining about how UCF's copying their white out. I've seen Baylor fans saying, ooh, UCF's doing a white out for us. They're, the UCF fans were was just white. UCF hasn't said anything has- about like, like that's not the same thing to me. Like UCF isn't billing this as a white out. It's just that they usually pick one game each year they, when they cycle through the UCF fans wear and it's just white. I don't think this is any kind of special thing. Stanford in 2019, and most people were white. Tulane last year, like they'd usually just pick a game that they think is probably going to be a day game and say, hey, you should wear white so you don't get hot. And somehow on social media, it's like (laughs) morphed into like UCF's doing a whiteout and Penn State fans are mad that UCF's ripped off their whiteout. Has UCF even tweeted anything about the fans wear or people just going off the graphic? They I don't don't know if they have this week. I'm really I'm really not sure. But it's yeah, very it's, odd. Like I, I, I just, I, it, and like I said, it's like, I, I get that you might, some people might be saying that you're like, well, what do you mean? It's UCF fans wear white. So it's a white. And I'm like, I do get that. Like they're telling fans to wear white, but like billing a game as it's a white out and we're going to like lay out white jerseys. And it's a big thing versus like the UCF fans wear just cycling through the same four things they always do each season. And this is the white one is like, yeah. 
not the same thing to me. I don't know. I just have found and, that odd. Yeah, I don't think it has any extra significance if if that's what people are trying to insinuate. Um, it's just it just happens to be this one. Um, They're just finally taking our advice. How many years have we said that it just needs to be white for day games, black for night games, and that's it? I don't know, but I'll continue to say it until that's a thing. Maybe they never did it because they knew this would happen, was that if they said UCF fans were white, people would be like, it's a whiteout. They're going to lay out shirts on the seats, and Baylor's going to be shaking, and I don't know. Because it's even like Baylor announced their – this is how it even got weirder because UCF fans also gaslit themselves into thinking UCF was going to wear a whiteout uniform for a home game. <laughs> even despite my best efforts of like – years now explaining to fans that UCF doesn't get to do that without getting permission from the road team, which is why it yeah. very rarely happens. And even still, and then Baylor announced that they were wearing white uniforms yesterday and Twitter was like, what? <laughs> like, how is Everyone, this happening? I saw someone say, I saw someone say something like, are you like, are we still supposed to wear white? Yeah. Like, I, it's I, like, like UCF going to change the graphic. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's one of those, it's, it's, we moved on from, from zombie nation gate to, to this. We literally have. We went straight from why isn't UCF playing Zombie Nation to inventing a whiteout game. Like I, I just I've been fascinated by this. I I'm really interested. Yeah. Um. Back to some of the on-field stuff. With Can I say something three. else really quickly? Oh gosh, yes. So I'm just gonna keep going. There, last year, the UCF fans were for SMU was white. Do you remember anything about that game being like we got to wear no, a whiteout? No, but also for SMU? it was a. That was the game that got moved to Wednesday, like the following Wednesday. So. But even before the hurricane, I don't remember anyone being no. like, we got like, I don't know. I'm very I, confused I by all this. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. Um, key stat number three, Baylor has the number uh, 104th ranked run defense in the country. They're allowing, uh, allowing 171 yards per game on the ground. And I can't, I don't know. I don't have the number in front of me. I don't think UCF ran it quite as well as they did in the first three games last week. I still think they ran it pretty well. Johnny Richardson had, um had led the way but i still think ucf's um ucf's strength is their run game and they can probably wear down baylor in the heat in this game not that it's not hot in texas i don't know why i said that that was stupid it's not humid hot in texas no it's not humid different kind Um, of heat yeah but i don't know i i think hopefully rj is is at full strength i know he's been a little banged up kind of intermittently here um but I, i they have the running backs to do it and i think last week it was and I think the reason I felt like they didn't run the ball well, which I think they kind of, they probably ran it fine. I think the reason I thought that is because every big play that UCF had, I'm pretty sure, was a deep ball from Timmy. So UCF and, against Kansas State, 143 total rushing yards. Johnny led the way with 76 yards on six carries. Yeah. On six they, carries. They were going up against what what Kansas came in that game, what, the number two, number three number two run, run, deep, defense uh, run defense in the country. Defense, so yeah. I think it's pretty clear that's you and the and UCF ran the ball pretty well. So I think it's pretty yeah. clear that that's their strength and that to me is the stat for Baylor. I'm like, okay, I think that's, I think UCF wins because I, I think that yeah. it is as simple as that. Um, caveat I will throw in on that is that the thing about Timmy McLean, crazy, we're like this deep in. And I don't know if we've mentioned him outside of like a passing comment is, I don't know what we're doing, guys. Most of you just want to hear about the quarterback anyway. I'm, I'm so sorry. We probably lost all you anyway. Um, is I know that you never really know what you have with a backup quarterback or any new quarterback until you get him out there in a big game. They clearly were very conservative with Timmy early on, and he made some dumb mistakes. The 12-yard thing was bad. He had many good moments, too. What I saw from Kansas State, both on the initial watch and the rewatch, was I am ready for them to just unleash Timmy's deep ball. Like, just let him take shots all the freaking time. Because it's beautiful, and it works. And if you can marry – let's just go to the Josh Heupel days, right? If you can marry the really strong run game they have with taking those deep shots and force the defense to account for that, which Timmy can do – a lot yeah. better than Mikey or JRP from the last few years, then go for it. I mean, he's that's what I was going to say. Balls. 
That's what I was going to say is that if they can run the ball against Baylor the way they did the first three games, I know it was lesser lesser defenses, but even the way they kind of they did last week, it's like that opens up and helps Timmy so much. And I know something oh, yeah. that Gus mentioned Monday was that they need to be like really good around him. They need to be better around him because he said, yeah, Timmy had some moments, but he thought he did some really good things and that they let him down a couple of times. So, I mean, yeah, I think Timmy has honestly, I don't know, is it the right word, acclimated himself really well. To, to everything the first two weeks and now he comes back home it's going to be a great a great atmosphere and I think he really does he, he obviously has that potential for big plays down the field but if they run the ball against the suspect run defense as well as they they know they can I think offensively they're gonna they're gonna have a pretty big day if you're an opposing if you're Baylor's defense and you're having to guess on a given play of whether RJ Harvey's about to gash you for 10 yards or if Timmy's gonna chuck one to Kobe downfield like UCF wins like that's that and I think the situation with how conservative they played with Timmy is basically the point I was getting at was that they, he can throw a really good deep ball in practice and sometimes stuff just doesn't translate to games. I think the most famous version of that is Mackenzie Dalton sucked in practice. That was like a much known thing. And it's part of the reason that 2017 kind of came out of nowhere. And he wasn't even, he was named the starter pretty late into that off season. Cause it was like, yeah. you know, then he gets in the game and turns it on. So now I'm hoping that the coaching staff has seen in a game that Timmy can execute those throws. Keep them coming. I mean, honestly, yeah. they, they, him and Kobe seem to have a connection. I'm sure Javon would love it because he just seems mad after every game about something. So I just, I really think that, that's something that they need to further implement into this offense. Yeah, I think so. So we can jump in then, I guess, to how we how we think UCF can win this game. And I think it's just that it's yeah, it's doing doing that very well. And I think obviously on def- on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, if the op- offense is doing that, they're going to be putting the defense in good situations. Like if they give the defense a lead to protect and allow them to do their thing, that would be good itself. Um, and they just kind of tackle better on defense. I mean, I know there's they, it, there's a lot of things we could still say about the linebackers. Like they need to cover better. They need to do all that. The secondary needs to be better, but they just mostly need to tackle better. They, they can't be letting guys get through the line. And every time they get through the line, it's 10, 12 yards. Cause then you're going to stay on the field forever and you're going to just be, you're going to be gassed by the, by halftime. So yes. if they could do that on defense and then, and play that way on offense that we were just talking about, I think it's, it's one of those where it doesn't have to be a down to the wire win. This is courtesy of CJ Vogel on Twitter. UCF has 37 missed tackles on the season, which is nine-ish a game. Yeah. Um, That's, it's not the worst in the conference, as that graphic says, but it's not good. It's actually one of the better ones in the conference, which is yeah. funny. But um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I just had that Baylor can't stop the run and UCF puts up yeah. points. I Darren Henshaw is so full of just awesome sayings I like. And one thing that about on the topic of putting up points that he said in his Sunday access, which I was not at, but the video and stuff got posted, was that he likes um i lost it what was it that he said oh no oh i don't know okay he was talking about timmy and how his biggest issue of timmy from the game was situations where they're in field goal range and timmy's trying to force a first down and Mm -hmm. he said he told timmy that every drive needs to end in a kick and he doesn't care whether it's a field goal or a pat but it needs to end in a kick so and he just told he told Timmy that he's gonna remember that when it's third and six and he ends up taking a sack or it's like no no it's just it just needs to end in a kick like we don't care which one yeah. so don't do that and i'm like that that is a really good saying like i like looking at it that way it's a good saying but i also don't know if i agree i agree with the situation they're in especially yeah, in, a power yeah, no, in the situation they're like yeah but i i would much like it's like i don't care which one i definitely care which one i would i would much prefer it to be the the, the pat and not the field goal but yeah if, but if you're in a situation i get what he's saying in the third again like a third down situation like that yeah you want to be able to kick the field goal but I think I especially because we saw it, touchdowns. we saw it several times. I mean, sure, Bailey. I'm not sitting here and being like, yeah, Darren Henshaw announced that he likes field goals more than touchdowns, but it's just they had situations no, it's in just that a game fun, multiple times. 
that's where the saying just like kind of loses its weight to me where it's just like i i think you should care the you saying care. has a lot of weight when you have a quarterback who sees a third and six and instinct is to instead of throwing the ball away when the play is not there lose 12 yards so like i think he won't that, he won't do that again sure i'm sure he won't do it again but he did it once <laughs> and now and hopefully part of the reason he won't do it again because somewhere in his head he's gonna hear we're fine with kicks so we're, we'll yeah. just we'll be good with that so i don't we do not need to be this the talent is too evenly distributed in this league to be forcing stuff on third downs. I just it's a different yeah. ball game than it was in the AAC. So, how do you think UCF can lose this game? Walter Yates. No, um, I just put the <laughs> no. I'm kidding. That was that wasn't my answer. Um, I just have that the defensive issues continue and Baylor is able to turn the game into a shootout. I don't know. I I, I worry a lot about how if that's how UCF's going to lose games this year. Is they have to they a situation like Kansas State where you're going to need to put up forty plus points to win. That's a way bigger ask in this league than it was in the last one. And that's how I fear they lose is if defense just can't contain them. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that's kind of how you get to the point where I have my scenario where they lose is like, if it's a game that's kind of tight throughout, and then we see a similar thing down the stretch where UCF starts turning the ball over and then having stupid penalties and like just basically imploding like they did last week. That's obviously a very bad recipe to lose and uh, or recipe. Yeah. It's a recipe for losing the game. Um, and, and if there's a situation, it's it's always kind of hard to to gauge. And there's certain ways you can see it and you can't. But if they're out coached in this game, especially in in late game situations. Like that fourth and two is going to be burned in my head. But I think maybe forever, where he didn't go for it, and then you see what happened after that. And I'm not saying like he's a bad coach for that, but I've there's just been things that have bothered me throughout the last probably couple of years, where it's like I love this staff and I love their ability to recruit, but sometimes on game days I'm like I don't are you are you out there like are you are you doing are you doing okay. anything i will say a couple points on the fourth and two i do agree i fully agree but we're we're acting like if they'd gone for the fourth and two they win the game it's like they could have been stuck no, on the four and two they could have gotten it then gone three and out a couple plays later like i it's not like it's not like gus was sitting there at the goal line was like we need a touchdown to win and i'm gonna kick it like i it just it was it was a decision it was a decision i didn't agree with but i, th- I thing, honestly like- think that Tramon the Tramon penalty was way more impactful for the 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 flow of the game and the and the atmosphere what's the word I'm looking for not the energy what's the momentum momentum is what I'm looking yeah. for I think that's what gave Kansas State the momentum not not punting on a fourth and two or kicking or however they ended up yeah but it all it all led to that that's where it started I okay well uh, well actually it was all when UCF started a program in 1979 that's what all led to it like <laughs> we can play six degrees of separation all day I'm just saying that when you actually talk about the momentum shift it was the penalty it wasn't it wasn't not going for it on fourth and two agree to disagree okay all right Let's <laughs> um, <laughs> score predictions what do you got um I, 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 to this day, still like to look up the score predictions for the UCF Baylor 2013 game, and I don't want to become that. So I'm saying UCF 35 27. 35 27. I have UCF 37 24. You want to be those. Okay. I see. I, I could be way off base. I just don't see UCF winning by multiple scores. I could be totally wrong. Well, not multiple scores, multiple touchdowns, I'll say. Like I could see like a 10 point win, but I don't know. Is this team at a point where they can blow out a Power Five team? Would you consider that a blowout? Yes. We talked about this like earlier, like weeks ago. I understand that it's only a couple score. Will you say 37-24? Yeah. I understand that's only two touchdowns, but I also think that how those two touchdowns are distributed matters. 37-24 looks dominant to me, whereas like 13-0 doesn't, you know? Yeah, I guess so. It just feels like, I don't know, it feels like a game where UCF is going to be able to do enough offensively. I'm worried that I'm not giving Baylor enough points. Their offense has been really bad so far, but also UCF's defense last week looked... I, not encouraging at all 
we so, also though we tend to know. do this just as human beings is that like one game happens and we and we color everything through that like the defense play badly so we say we they now have a bad defense like defense might be fine i mean they're they're, they're playing a be. much worse team than they were last week um and that's so, the thing you know. I, I had a really hard time with this because like they, baylor gave up 38 point, only 38 points to texas so i was like i'm feeling like i'm giving ucf too much with 37 then like they also only scored six against texas so i feel like i was gonna say like the texas... point jump like an 18 point jump to 24. It's just, I don't know. I had a really hard time coming up with an actual real feel for this game, but I think UCF wins is kind of how I am. And I, I don't know. I guess it could be a, a closer one, but I think my other thing with see. Texas only in quotes scoring 38 is like, did they, did they need to score more than that? Like, I mean, they were up 28, three at one point. Like they probably just didn't, I mean, they only scored. Yeah. I mean, they went to halftime. Half they went to halftime up 28, six, and they only scored twice in the second half. That to me just looks like, they were in firm control. They didn't need to be going crazy, you know? Yeah. And if you want to read about how that game went down, stay tuned to Night Sports Now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, around the Big 12, week four coming out. Around soon. the Big 12, we'll be up tomorrow morning. I really need to write something. Like, I was gaining on you and the Bailey and I've had a, it's not even a competition because you've been crushing me. Like, <laughs> going back to when we started Night Sports Now in 2017 and you're like a gazillion articles ahead of me. I haven't written anything in a while. I'm going to write something this week. And the, I think the funny thing is, like, I've never really been like, haha, I have more articles than you. It's just been a thing that you've been like constantly like, I need to catch up to you. It bothers like, me. It bothers okay. me, and you don't. I don't even think you notice it. But like every time you post an article, I'm like one more behind. <laughs> like, which, but what makes it crazy is that you quit for like three years, and I still didn't catch up <laughs> in that span. Like you were gone for literally like three seasons, and yeah. I was writing a lot then, and just did not get close. <laughs> I don't even remember. Like, I don't know how I did that much in college. We won't have to get into it. But I don't remember how I got. You would literally like text me because that you were really prolific before we lived together. It was that first season, 2017, and it would be like you would text me on a Monday and be like, "I have an idea for a story," and I'd be like, "Cool," and I'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna write it." And then you send it to me two hours later, and then like the next day, you'd be like, "I have this idea," and you would just come up with all these like, "I'm gonna go back to my profile." I don't remember too. like what I really did. I remember doing the the weekly like around the uh around the AAC, but I don't remember like anything. I'm like trying to think of how I got that. Number. Part of it was I think also part of it. I covered other sports. I was going to say, so a big part yeah. of it was when we founded Night Sports Now back in 2017, that it's so not what it is now, but the idea, because now it's basically a website for a podcast that we also post articles on. But at yeah. the time, the idea was that no one at, at the time, this is a different world than it is now, very few people were covering the non-football sports at UCF. It wasn't like it was now where you got a ton of folks. And I and you and our friend Evan were like, we have a great idea. We're going to be, and that was even like our slogan, which are still our slogan is all, all UCF sports all the time, which is so not what it's been for several years, but was that we're going to cover everything. We're going to go get a bunch of student journalists who are looking for clips. Cause that's a big thing. If you're a journalist in college, you need clips and we're going to cover everything. We're going to cover softball, women's soccer, baseball, all of it. And we did that for a while at first. And that's where a lot of those clips came from is we got credentialed for everything and we were at everything. And what we learned very quickly is no one wants to read about anything except football. And we would, <laughs> I would have a, I would have a student journalist turn me in a lovely game story off of the volleyball game. And then I would post it and watch it get 12 views. So it just, yeah. it, that, that very quickly changed it. And then also we found it in summer of 17 and then that season football went undefeated. So it quickly became, all right, we're just going to write about football, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So that was where a lot of your stuff came from. I think you're at 195 yeah. articles. You're five away from 200. Wow. Get there soon. Um, all right, let's jump into the football news and then we'll, we'll wrap things up here. A couple things from uh, the NFL side of things. Uh, Josh Sitton and Brandon Marshall were among the 124 class of 2024 nominees for the pro football hall of fame. Um, I feel like, I, I don't know if, if I have the right, like, I don't know if I have my finger on the pulse here, right? Or not, but I feel like Brandon Marshall has been talked about as a potential hall of famer. He had a really good career. I don't know if he's going to be in the hall of fame, but he had a really good career. 
Um, he wasn't as good at UCF as people think he was. Okay, I said it. Yeah. That's my use. That's one of my biggest UCF hot takes. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. He was very I good. We talked about them on the podcast before. We probably because we, we did the um we did the all time draft thing. He was very um, good at UCF, but he wasn't like his NFL career has sort of rewritten a little bit what he actually yeah. was here. I feel like I um, I'm sorry because when people talk about all time great UCF receivers, they like include him like near the top, and it's like I think there've been guys that have surpassed him. There are a lot in recent that would years take over him. Yeah. Um, Gabe Davis and Latavius Murray both scored touchdowns in the Bills win over the Commanders on Sunday, and Matt Prater made a 62-yard field goal in the Cardinals win over the Cowboys on Sunday. He's still, he's still doing it. He's, I don't even know how old he is now, but he's still doing it and and doing it well. Uh, last thing, UCF and Kansas, uh, next week will kick off at four o'clock Eastern and be televised on Fox. So UCF has escaped FS1 for the first time outside of the Villanova game, which was on an ESPN Plus stream that I probably enjoyed better. At long last. Even though it had problems. I have hated <laughs> FS1 with all my heart, and I'm sure that more FS1 games are coming, but we should get a break because yeah. I don't buy that the Oklahoma game will be on FS1. So no. hopefully uh, we'll get we'll get a few weeks of a break here from that. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and so we'll jump into game of the week. Actually, sorry, we have to get one more thing um, that I didn't write down here. John Rice Plumley, I guess, Gus is saying he's ahead of schedule. He's making really good progress. I'm going to talk about this at the top, but I guess there's really nothing more than that is that Gus is saying that they, they think they could get him back sooner than they originally thought. If he continues to make the progress he's making right now, I don't know what that means, but I don't know what it means worth, either. Cause he said that he's ahead of schedule and then said he's still a few weeks away, which we've, which we talked about. We joked that a few weeks is a, is a very malleable term that probably doesn't mean anything, but yeah, I don't know. I did see some UCF fans were overreacting like hell to that. And we're like, Oh, so he's coming back for Kansas. No, he's not coming back for Kansas. I mean, I think that best case scenario still probably feels like Oklahoma since you yeah. got the bye week in there, but him, it's yeah, still encouraging. Week. It's been a lot worse if he got up there and was like, yeah, it's going to be worse than we thought. So you, you take that news. I don't see how they can see the bye week and be like, yeah, let's let's get him back before the bye week. Like, I, I don't know. It, yeah. and By the way, fully ready. But yeah, if what? you're wondering where all your Night Sports Now articles came from in August of 2017, you wrote a game story on a women's soccer exhibition match. So that's that's how in the weeds we were. Well, we, we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember back then we were doing like briefs on everything. So everything that happened, we were publishing stuff. We and were, you were doing. All I remember that, now. So. I've solved the um, of where all your articles came from. <laughs> yeah. Um, night notes. I forgot about night notes. I'm just hijacking the podcast. Even... Of just talking. Yeah. <laughs> you used to do a thing called night notes in 2017, where you do a little like it was like a little notebook each week on like oh. stuff about UCF. Man, those are the I gotta ones. go back and I gotta go back and reminisce and read some. I have so many things. I have so much to do after we get off this podcast. But I'm probably gonna spend like an hour just Man, going through. This has changed. I clicked on your archives. night notes from October 27th, 2017, and the first point is linebackers leading the way. Not so much these days. No. no, no but anyway, no. back to the actual um, podcast. Speaking of women's soccer, game of the week, UCF women's soccer is 7-2-0. and They're 3-0-0 and in the Big 12. Uh, they're at Oklahoma State this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Oklahoma State's 10-2, and uh, 10-2-0, 3-0-0 and in the Big 12. So uh, top, of the, top of the table matchup in women's soccer uh, at the Big 12. UCF just kind of picked up where they left off last year in the AAC. Like they've just been – who they beat first? I can't remember who they played the first game, but they beat Houston after that, and they beat Kansas most recently, so – yeah, UCF is a full-on soccer school right now between them and men's yeah. soccer being number three in the country and number two in RPI. So yeah, football school, <laughs> so, but spelled the the other way. Other way, yeah. Um, awesome. So tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. If you heard a noise there, by the way, I dropped my phone. Apologies. Um, <laughs> tweet of the week this week goes to Bold Disclosure, that USF account oh, that I think we all know because they just like they they you know they're lunatics, but it's cool. One of the worst they, accounts in existence. <laughs> they uh they tweeted USF one on Saturday. If you did not know that, and they tweeted. 
USF wins, UCF loses with the little like person sleeping in the bed with the USF hat. Like they're sleeping nice that UCF and USF lost. I want to bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, this is the same account that said that tweets rent free every time a UCF fan tweets about USF and says, why do you care about us? I also want to point out because I was like, wow, UCF lost in USF one on the same day. When was the last time that happened? Had to look it up. 2,500 days ago. It was the 2016 war on F4 when USF beat UCF. That was the most recent time that UCF lost on a day USF won. And if you're wondering how could that be the case, it's because USF doesn't really win anything. But they are back. They beat Rice. That is an AAU school. So Christian, they're talking they're talking New Year Six. By the, okay, the other thing I have to say, are they actually talking New Year Six or is that a joke? I've seen I've seen a couple, couple people. I mean, I think it was more so there was an article that mentioned them and USF fans like probably took it and ran with it. Every like, time they were surprised, I think, but they were like, also like we could. Every time I think Maybe. UCF fans are crazy, I just dip my toe into USF Twitter and I remember what real insanity looks like. But and the other thing I want to point out about USF is that is this where they're at now? Like Rice is their big. Oh, and the other thing on top of that is that I don't know if you saw any. We, I, for some reason, you and I watched some of that game on Saturday because we're just not yeah. committed to USF. And no one at the that. game. No one, no one at the game. I don't mean like bad crowd. I mean, I have never, I don't think seen a USF game that bad in attendance. There were photos on where you should go look like, I mean, it literally looks empty. Like there are not human beings there. They announced (laughs) 29,000. It's just, I love it so much. I love lying about attendance. Yeah. um, Continuing to do that. And you know how many people watch uh, that game on TV? Seven, maybe 53,000 people. Not many. No. Yeah, I've been. I was. I thought it was a, a crazy reality on Saturday where people saw USF fans clowning UCF, and I'm like, you, you realize like UCF just lost to the the reigning Big Twelve champion in an, an actual like real conference. Like, I don't want to trash the AAC, but like the AAC now isn't even what it was last year. So, you just like, said I can't in a real conference. Yeah, no, so I, I can trash it now because because all of the best teams in the league left. That's well, okay. The two, the two Let, of them. Relax. I was going to say, Except A, Houston's bad. B, Memphis and SMU were still there, but it's still uh, hilarious. And I called that what well, we talked about USF SMU's and barely last there. week. They are. They're on their way out to the Atlantic Coast Conference. I, 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 in Tweet of the Week last week, I said they were going to do that. I said when UCF loses to Kansas State and they beat Rice, they're going to be like, yeah, we're so back yeah. and UCF sucks. It's they're, they're sad little people, but it's fine. It's very extremely predictable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll get out of here now on that note. Um, but we thank everyone for listening. Keep leaving us your five-star reviews. We will be back Saturday evening with episode 164 post-game podcast after UCF and Baylor. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thanks so much for being with us, and we will talk to you Saturday. Bye, everybody.